0: All right, let's pray for a moment. God, we thank you so much that you're here today. You're with us. And at Jesus, that you want to speak to every one of us. Holy Spirit, you want to move in our midst, in our hearts. We open ourselves up. We ask now as we hear from your word that you would penetrate our hearts, that you will encourage our souls, that you would give us hope. We thank you so much for grace. Senator Brown's grace abounds even more. Thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be great. And just thanks so much for being here today. We get to have communion today, so I'm all excited about that. It's one of the highlights of what our church life is when we get to come together and have communion. And so I'm excited for that moment when we get there. So I'm just going to ask you what, just go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program. Uh, you're going to need those right away. And turn your Bibles to Matthew 11, okay? So your message notes look like this. You're going to be able to follow along. This is, I I don't know if I've ever done this. Maybe this is the second time we've ever had a part two, but today's part two uh, of the message we had last week, because I just couldn't get it all in last week. And so that's, we changed the whole, you know, what we were going to do today because of that, uh, just to fill in. And uh, if you weren't here last week, oh my, I just want to encourage you that you would go and watch last week's talk, and um, especially... As we really talked about this whole idea that God loves us and he wants to show us that love and he wants to just tell us that we are his beloved and then we learn to live in that state. Oh, wow. It was just powerful for me. I know it was for many people uh, as we went through that. We we set it up last week, so I'm not going to do a lot of that today, but I just want to read the uh, theme verse for our series right at the top of your notes from Hebrews 12. It says, See to it that no one fails, and this is just so important to me, and I just want you to underline that, no one. No one fails uh, to obtain, or another translation says that no one would miss out on the grace of God. Why is that? Because the grace of God is the key to our faith, it's the key to our understanding of Him, it's the key to uh, being able to be able to relate to Him, and especially today to be able to live in this cycle of grace that we're talking about now, I'm just going to, if you would, just if you have your Bible open, just encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, I want to you know, put this plug in here now because it's so important to me, is that you would stop right out there at the bookshelves, and you can find some Bibles there. You can take one of your own. A great Bible app, by the way, is Bible Gateway, um, and then YouVersion. Version as well is my favorite Bible app. If you want to just download that sometime, and you can have the Bible on your device wherever you go. But this is what Jesus says. This is from the message paraphrase from Matthew 11. He says this, and this would be what he would ask you today. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. By the way, I had a friend of mine uh, go online this week from my past that I grew up with in high school, and uh, it was my birthday this weekend, and so she got online and she was going to wish me happy birthday, and then she said, I'll just kind of just look through your Facebook post and see what's there. She saw that somebody had posted you know, a few weeks back the talk that we did on race, and so uh, she went on and watched that, and uh, she's someone who's burned out on religion, but spe- specifically on how religion's really uh, portrayed, and then it's not, it's not a bad portrayal of the way that we are in culture today, and so she's really burned out on that idea of religion, but this idea here is talking about, are you burned out on the heavy load of religion that puts on you, that you, then you get suffocated, Jesus says, if that's you, he says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Underline that circle, that word, rest. That's what it's all about, is a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. So that's what we're doing in this uh, series, but especially in these two weeks, watch how I do it. Learn from me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's what we're trying to talk about. And it's my prayer that, as we've devoted two weeks now... To the cycle of grace, that that will bring everyone and move every one of us forward in a life that brings us better health and our relationship with God and uh, with ourselves as we understand that, uh, better relationships with each other as we you know process what is it like to live in grace together in the church and then outside the church is what we're going to talk about next week as we talk about the responsibility of grace, because the cycle of grace is one of those treasures that just keeps giving and giving and giving. We can never plumb the depths of it. It's, there's so much to talk about about grace. The Cycle of Grace, as I talked about last week, based upon this book called The Cycle of Grace. It's pretty profound, right? I just stole the title right here. And uh, is based upon this book by uh, Trevor Hudson. And so if you want to just listen to, uh, there's five talks on YouTube uh, by Trevor Hudson, Cycle of Grace, just just. Go on YouTube and search for that. There's five short videos you can watch that really will give a lot more understanding of things I'm talking about, but it's based on the research of a psychiatrist named Frank Lake and Emil Bruner back in the 1950s. And they were trying to f- discover why missionaries who would uh, go to India uh, would go to their ministry posts with uh, incredible enthusiasm and passion and purpose. And within a few months and or maybe a few years for some of them, they would end up in a place of discouragement, weariness, fatigue, burnout, disillusionment, resentment, and then some of them would even drop out. Well, this is serious stuff. And so they started looking and said, well, what are we, how are we going to help these missionaries? And so they... they asked themselves, and kind of the indication is that they were at a, a meeting together over coffee maybe, and they were talking about these missionaries in India, and they asked themselves, well, if we thought about this, does the biblical record ever indicate a moment when Jesus was burned out, when Jesus was exhausted, when Jesus was too busy, when Jesus was stressed, when Jesus was too worried to do what he is called to do. And as they were, they were talked about this together, they didn't really have to read the Bible. They knew the Bible so well at this point, they, they came up with this resounding answer, and the answer was no. Just no. Jesus was someone who had incredible demands placed on his life. People were asking stuff from Jesus all the time, right? They were pulling from him all the time. They were, he faced enormous stresses, difficulties and pain and confusion about what people were thinking about who he was and why he came. And yet he never seemed to lose his joy. He never seemed to lose it. He never seemed to get burned out. He never seemed to be unloving. He seemed to have what he needed at every step of his journey. So Lakenbrenner then dug into the life of Jesus. They went to the scriptures and specifically the book of John to see if there was any pattern of life or rule of life that Jesus was living by, that they could learn from Jesus, that produced in him a fulfilled life, a satisfying life, a joyful way to do life. And as they studied his life, they actually realized that Jesus lived in this cycle or rhythm where grace was constantly flowing into him and grace was constantly flowing out of him. It was into him and it was out of him. And they called this the cycle of grace. Grace. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the cycle of grace for a moment. Let's put it on the screens here. You see it there. Uh, The cycle of grace begins with acceptance. We talked about that last week. Is when God looks at me, apart from anything I've done, except this was Jesus, but He looks at us, who are in Jesus, apart from anything we've done. He says, "You are my beloved," just as He said that to His son. And then there's. Moments where we, ha- we want sustenance, okay, so we want to be able to uh, be strengthened or nourished, and so we talked last week about the sustaining grace and how that we would live there, and then we move into significance, and that 's what we all are looking for is to know that I mean something and then ch- to achievement the end of it is what I do achievement, so that 's the cycle of grace, and we talked about that last week as we um, in depth, and so you want to go and watch that if you can, so with that in mind. They then looked at the missionaries who were coming out back with burnout, and uh, they concluded that they were not living in the cycle of grace, okay? They just concluded that they weren't living in this cycle. Instead, what they decided is, as they looked at them, is that they were living in what they called the cycle of works, and so here's the cycle of works. Now, remember, the cycle of grace goes to the right, and then the cycle of works goes to the left, and so the cycle of works begins with achievement. It begins with what I do. And so I'm looking for um, meaning in life, and so I instantly start doing things, and I believe that through doing things, that my status is elevated, I have success, I have security, and in our culture, we'd say we also have stuff, Uh, believing that as I have all those things, because of what I do, and the emphasis is on do, strong emphasis on do, I gain significance, and so I'm somebody, my life has meaning, and so then I hope that then, because my life has meaning, that that's actually going to be what sustains me. So I've started with what I'm doing, I find some meaning in that, and now that's going to sustain me, and then if, as that sustains me, then I'm going to move into being able to be accepted. And it all hinges on me doing more and more And more trying to maintain that cycle we strive for achievements to give us significance hoping that the sense of significance we find from those achievements will sustain us and ultimately we have the deepest desires of our heart met we actually gain the acceptance that our souls so long for and folks that is never, ever, ever going to happen. Never going to happen. Because acceptance, this acceptance in the cycle of works is based upon a myth. And the myth is this. I am what I do. That's the myth. I'm only acceptable as I continue to achieve. So in the cycle of works, it's all based upon what I do. And this cycle of works is extremely destructive to my well-being, to my soul, to my relationship with God, my relationship with others, destructive to my marriage, destructive to my family, in every way. Now, that's where we don't want to be. We want to be in the cycle of grace, but I want to show you the cycle of grace that we looked at last week that has a couple of additions to it. And so we colored it this week uh, and last week as well, because what we have is we have on the, as we're going to the right, acceptance and sustenance is all about input (laughs) It's all about input, and it's all about output. You actually have this drawing on your notes, and so, it, just so you can take it with you, and you can actually reflect on it. So acceptance and sustenance, that's the input I bring in, and then sig- uh, the output is significance and achievement. And so what we talked about is, is that as they looked at the life of Jesus, that Jesus had a balance between input and output, a balance between receiving and giving, Last week, we illustrated it this way. We said, if you consider your breathing, breathing in and breathing out, I asked the question, which is more important, breathing in or breathing out? And the answer is the opposite of what you did last. You have to have balance, right? Breathing in and breathing out. They're both very, very important. And the same is true with our lives. We will never be able to live a sustained significant, fruitful life if we try to live it out of balance. We must create a pattern of life, a rhythm of life, a rule of life, where we have a balance in our input and our output, or we're not going to last. And some of you have been burned out before, and you understand this. Some of you are in burnout right now, and you're like, oh, this is a problem. And what I want to talk today is about how we can have this balance, because Jesus modeled it for us. We look to him. He said, look to me, and we look to him we must have this balance in life so that we can flourish. We must have that. If not, we'll end up with broken souls, we'll have depleted lives, and if we're not careful, we'll self-destruct. And You know people have done this. So last week we talked about the two ways that grace flows in. I'm just going to briefly reflect on those before we get to the two ways that grace flows out. So the first thing, you want to write this on the bottom of the first page of your notes is this, is that it's when I, I receive his grace, when I rest in God's accepting grace, when I rest in God's accepting grace. So this is the, uh, the area of acceptance. It's all about identity. So Denise, let's just go back to that every time after a blank. Let's go back. Yep, there we go. It's all about identity. It's all about being accepted, affirmed, embraced, prized, loved, and valued. One of the deepest desires that we all have as human beings is to know that we are accepted and loved, right? Those of you who don't feel accepted and loved know that that's one of your deepest struggles. It's caused you a lot of pain in your search to have what you didn't sense or what you didn't feel. Well, it was the tour of Jesus, too. Jesus lived out of this profound sense of acceptance and being loved. And what Bruner and Lake wanted people to understand is that jesus required this acceptance same as you and i do in his humanity 100 human that jesus required the same sense of acceptance and that jesus did not begin his public ministry and mission until the moment that god said you are my beloved son in whom i am well pleased he received that apart from anything that he's done That's the primary entrance of grace into our lives, is to be accepted. Okay, the second way, back side of your notes. Grace flows into our lives is when we rest in God's sustaining grace. We rest in his sustaining grace. They called it sustenance. So I have to have something that's going to bring sustenance, and we all know food or uh, what I bring in that's going to make me healthy or strengthen me in some way. Jesus not only lived in accepting grace, but Jesus also had to have sustenance. Sometimes we just look at Jesus and we want to put him out, you know, like, how was Jesus? He didn't need this. You know, he didn't need what I need. Jesus was 100% human, folks, as well as 100% God. And he models for us what we need for a balanced life of input. And we need sustenance. Without proper sustenance, I'm going to be malnourished, I'm going to be weak, and I can even die. And so what they did is they looked at the life of Jesus, and they looked at how many times that he got alone or he went away to be nourished. That he needed sustenance. So he went away with his father so he could get sustenance from his God. He was not a self-sustaining being. He, was, he needed input. Input from his father. And I say, so do we. It's not just enough to know that you're accepted. It's not just enough to know that you are being nurtured by God. You must be nourished by God. Is bring in that nourishment into your soul. Here's one verse that just shows Jesus' rhythm. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So he was just acknowledging here that this was a pattern that he had. And uh, there's all kinds of ways that you can look at patterns that he had through the New Testament as you look at his life. Now, last week, I gave you these three broad categories of uh, the way that we can get sustenance these are from the book, The Habits of Grace, that I've recommended in the series if you want to check it out in our bookstore. Uh, the first is through the Bible. So, if you studied the life of Jesus, you will see that the uh, Bible of his day, the Old Testament, was a huge part of his sustenance, a huge part of his strengthening. He had read it, he studied it, he memorized it, he meditated on it, and he allowed it to be his North Star. So, this is going to be the North Star that I have for my life, and he used it for wisdom. He used it for his decisions. He used it to encourage or challenge others. The Bible gave him the strength to face adversity and stress and pressure and even temptation as he relied on the promises that God had given in the scriptures. Second, through prayer. And so this is through conversing with God. So the Bible is hearing from God. Prayer is conversing with God. And all conversation is two-way. So Jesus modeled this way of praying that we would go along and we would pray to God and we'd listen from God. Now, I said last week, and I'll say it again this week, is that most of our prayers are what? Talking to God. And most of the times we probably get up and we pray, we journal, and then we close our journal or we close our prayer time with an amen. We get up and go away and God's just going, I had something to say about that, <laughs> but you didn't take time to what? Listen. We have to take time to listen to him and it's critical to being sustained by him and the third is through community and this is connecting with others connecting with god's people connecting with others jesus connected with others in sustaining relationships he had an incredibly rich relational life uh that one of the things that says that jesus as was his custom he gathered together in community worship because it was important for him to be with others in worship experience Uh, Then we talk about the relationships Jesus had. Um, Jesus had one that is called the beloved disciple, uh, the Apostle John. And then he had three where he was close to them. They were his core disciple uh, friends, and this was Peter, James, and John. And then he had the 12 disciples, so he had a, a larger group of men that he was with, that he was in relationship with. Uh, He had the 70 that he sent out uh, that were going out in mission and ministry. And the scriptures even indicate that Jesus had a special relationship outside of all of these with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, special relationship with them. He had a place in Bethany where he could go to their home and he could take himself out of the demands of ministry and he could be himself. You know, he could put his feet up. And that he could be there and he could talk about life other than what he was doing, what other people needed from him. And he could eat and he could fellowship and he could laugh with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. A place where he could just be himself. And folks, that's, we all need that relationally. We all need that place where we have people who accept us just as we are. And Jesus was, Jesus knew that. And he formed those kinds of relationships but it was through all those relationships so we need them all that jesus had sustaining grace and so these are habits of encouragement that, as you bring them in will draw you closer to god so these are practices that will fill you with joy and delight in life and so when you're bringing these in these are going to help you to know you're loved they're going to help you to know what god's saying They're going to help you to know that God loves you and that you love God. They're going to help you in so many ways. But we have to have this area of balance as we're bringing these things into our lives. Now, let's go to the third thing. And this is where we're going to kind of camp out a little bit today is an area of significance. And so I'm going to call it, we must rest in God's transforming grace. Transforming grace. This is the category of significance. This is output now. Um, but right here, we're, this is still, I want you to hear me. Uh, this is going to be hard for some of you because some of you are like, okay, Ron, I know what you're doing now. I got you pegged. It was all about not doing. But I heard you say things we could do. I was listening. And now it's about doing, oh yeah, I'm ready to do something, right? So I'm going to do significance. Really? We're going to talk about that, and you're going to see how crazy that sounds. So, as we talk about this area of significance, um, I want to look at this and talk about, before we answer, there is a moment we're going to get to what Jesus did, okay? I know some of you will salivate for that moment. There's a moment we get to what Jesus did, but what uh, Lake and Bruner suggested is that we must first ask ourselves, before, what did Jesus do? We must ask ourselves, What did his life signify? What did his life signify? This is so important because, as I just said, we're so eager to get to the doing part of the cycle. Before we do, we must first be. It's so essential. Before we do, we must first be. We must know who we are. We must know why we are here. We must know our purpose. We must know our calling and why God has placed us on this planet. Now, that word significance means that which others notice about me, what makes me stand apart, that which others see in me, that which I'm known for. Its Significance is my legacy. Significance is what people will say about you at the funeral home. What do they see in you? The idea of significance is that I was made to make a difference beyond myself that would stretch beyond the things that I've actually done. Now, the word significance, uh, I was reading John Ortberg, and he talked about this. He said that word significance is associated with the word sign, so S-I-G-N, sign, because we're all here to point to something else. So significance is not, we're all here to point to me to you. That's why I'm significant, so others will notice me. But what he would say is that Jesus lived a life and that God calls us to live a life, that whereas we are a sign that points to God. We live our lives in such a way that we are a sign that points to God. Significance is all about being. It's about who I am. Jesus always seemed to know that always seemed to be able to stay right into track that would keep him on the path that actually ultimately took him to Jerusalem to the cross. He never swerved. He never deviated. He stayed right on track to the calling he had been given. He seemed to have a very clear sense of who he was and who he was meant to be. He was a sign for God. Sign for God. This is what he says in John thirteen three. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and re- returned to God. So he's understanding that I am a sign from God. God's given me this vision, a mission. He's given me this purpose is why I'm here. He also said in another place, he said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, just think about my life. How many times that if you were to really see me, That you would go, I'm not sure I'm seeing God right now. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm just in process. And what Jesus was was someone who was able to live consistently a life of significance that always pointed people to God. And that's our calling as well, that we would point people to God. One of the ways you know that is that Jesus, and we had a series on this last spring, we called it Encounters with Jesus. And we talked about the I am statements that Jesus made. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the vine. You'll find life in me. I'm the good shepherd. You'll find care in me. He had all these ways that he was able to verbalize who he was and why he was here as he was pointing people to God. He's also told us, here's why you're here. Here's why you're here. Once you're in Christ, here's why you're here. Put it on your notes there. Matthew 5, he said this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying this. Folks, knowing that you're accepted by God, that you are his beloved, is so important. Knowing that you're going to get sustenance from God as you engage in habits or means of grace that will bring sustenance to you. What's going to happen to you because you've been, uh, understand maybe for the first time that you're the beloved and you try to live in that reality, and then you go to the Bible and you constantly are consuming uh, words of grace to you that sustain you? What's going to happen is you will be transformed. See, so many of us, we think we have to change ourselves. And we get so discouraged in that. And some of us drop out because we just we 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 get to the point where we couldn't change. Just like these missionaries who came home, they didn't they went with great excitement. They didn't ever think they would come back and be, you know, disheartened and maybe even some disowning their faith. But it was because they tried to do it in their own strength. That's what they discovered. Transformation comes as I'm with God, as I'm with Jesus. He transforms me. He does the the work. And as I'm a transformed being then, I become a billboard for Jesus. I become a billboard for him. As we're transformed, our lives will produce the fruit of the spirit. I was able to do a memorial service on Monday this week, and uh, the family talked to me about the, the mother who was uh, we were memorializing and said that she exhibited what you would see from her were the fruits of the Spirit. That maybe she wasn't verbal about her faith, but when you would look at her, you would experience a transformation that had happened. Especially the family could say this. Transformation that had happened. And so you saw love from her. You experienced joy in her. There was peace that exuded from her. There was patience that she had in all situations. There was kindness and goodness. There was gentleness and faithfulness and self-control all in her. see, her life mattered because of that. And we all want our life to matter. We all want to know that we're significant. We all want to know that we signify something. And it just could be that after we're gone from this earth just could be that when we no longer are breathing in or breathing out it just could be that people won't remember us for what we did but they will remember us for who we were what they experienced when they were with us <coughs> what kind of person we had become how transforming work grace had worked its beauty in our lives significance is the result of being transformed to be who God made you to be and then living out that reality with him. Okay, last area. This is, the to- this is the last idea in this cycle of grace. They called it fruitfulness, is what they called it. And I'm calling it, for my purposes, rest in his empowering grace. Rest in his empowering grace. We're talking about being strengthened, and empowered to produce fruit that benefits others. For the glory of God. Now, I, I love saying for the glory of God. That's what it's about. Not, so, not for my glory, not so that people will notice me ultimately, but for the glory of God. Now, our doing, this is why it's so important that we do the cycle correctly, uh, that our doing is not based upon our strength, or our talent, or our moxie, it's based on his power. It's based on His power. The Bible says it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so when a few weeks ago, we talked about a definition of grace, and the definition of grace that Dallas Willard uses is grace is God acting in your life to do what you cannot do on your own. Him acting in your life to do what you cannot do on your own, and even producing, I can't do. I can't do this. Now, Jesus talks about this. He talks about what happened in him from the uh, experience he's had, the sustaining experience he's had with God and being known as the beloved. This is what he says in John 4, 34. And he was talking to the disciples here. They'd gone away to get food. He'd come, they'd, come back, uh, they'd gone away to get food. They came back with food. He didn't need food all of a sudden. And they were like, well, Scott, well, where'd you get food? And this is what he says. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So he's saying, as we engage, as we engage in the will of God, what he's saying is God will empower us and God will strengthen us. Jesus knew why he was here and he was certain about it. In fact, in his prayer in John 17, this is what he says, I brought glory to you. He's talking to God. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And I did that because... I knew who I was. I was accepted by you. I was your beloved. I was sustained by you. The the, the life I lived was a significant life, and you produced fruit through me. You produced this. And, folks, Jesus is calling us to the same thing, the same task to do what God made us to do, to be who God made us to be. And He promised to empower us to do that, so that when we're doing what He called us to do, we're not exhausted we're not burned out. We're not depleted. We're not discouraged. We're not disillusioned. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Okay? Don't mean it doesn't mean it won't be hard. But what it means is even when it's hard, when we're in him, we'll still know fulfillment and still know joy. Now Jesus calls us to this task and then he gives us this promise. John 15:5 he says this, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, underline this, will produce a little bit of fruit. Tiny bit of fruit, some fruit, a lot of fruit, much fruit. But then he says, for apart from me, though, you can do nothing. Apart from him would be living in the cycle of works. With him is living in the cycle of grace. And what Jesus says to us here is he says, if you'll trust me, I will empower you to do fruitful things. I will empower you to be a billboard for God that draws people to me, Jesus would say, for the glory of God. I will do that. And all that will happen. But it won't be because we tried really, really, really hard. It won't be because of that. It will be because we had learned to live in a cycle of input and output. So I made sure that I had input, and I made sure that I had opportunities for output. Grace comes in, and grace goes out. Input, knowing that I'm accepted and beloved, input, sustaining through his word, through his voice, through his people, output, living a life of significance. can represent Jesus by the fruits of the Spirit wherever I go, and then output the works that he would do through me that would draw other people into himself for the glory of God. So now we're going to move to a time of communion. And uh, so I'm going to ask if our ushers would move into place, and they are just going to stand there for a second, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, an idea with you. And so I was thinking about who in the Bible that I could look at and would be someone who exemplified a person who lived in the cycle of works and then was transformed and then lived in the cycle of grace and it 's the apostle paul that 's who I chose. so if you study the life of the, of the apostle Paul, you study his life, what you find is is that he was the most religious of all, right, the most zealous, and so he lived with his cycle of works and he oppressed Christianity. And he was resistant against all, would you call that grace? And so then there was a moment when Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he had an encounter with grace, Jesus Christ. And at that moment, he received grace into his life, and then Paul became known as the apostle of grace. Do you know that Jesus never used the word grace? Not one time. Why do we talk about grace? It's because Paul became the apostle of grace. He was significant in that way. And so as we come to this time of communion, I want you to reflect on this verse I'm going to put on the screen from 1 Timothy 1.14. Bobby read it to us earlier. This is Paul speaking. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. And that'd be true of you as well if you've said yes to Jesus Christ. Along with the faith and love, that are in Christ Jesus. So grace is a, God wants to pour his grace out abundantly on you. Just to pour it out abundantly. So I'm going to ask our ushers if they would serve now and I'm just going to encourage you that you would take a piece of the bread and a cup as it comes by and I'm going to ask you if you'd not just hold it, okay? and Stay in prayer and meditation and then after everybody's served, I'm going to come back and then I'll lead us as we eat the bread and drink of the cup together. So this is my favorite part of this morning. As I was thinking about our sustaining grace and the relationship aspect, the community, connecting. I was just thinking about how Jesus connected with these disciples around the Lord's Supper, and he gave them this moment. And then he gave them this command. He says that we would do this through all time till he comes again, that we would remember his death for us. So what he did in that moment is he called every one of us to continually have a moment of connection together, to be, have that connecting grace together with each other and with him. And it's it so beautiful when you read the, encounter, uh, the account of the uh, Last Supper, as, a, as they gather up in the, at the, around the table that what Jesus says to them it moves me so much every time i think about it he says to them i have looked forward to this moment i have looked forward to being with you and that's what he would say to you today he would say i've looked forward to being with you right now looked forward to be able to pour into your life through what we're going to do right now my sustaining grace that you would know that you're the beloved If you said yes to Jesus Christ, there's that moment when he says, you are my son, you're my daughter, my beloved child of the Most High God. So as we eat this, I'd just like you to reflect on that. Just think how much that Jesus longed for this. He died for this. And the Father is here blessing what we're doing. So he gave them bread and he broke it. And he said that we would take this and eat it. That he would remember his body, which is broken, which took the penalty for our sins. So let's eat this and thank Jesus for that. And he poured wine, and he gave it to his disciples in a cup, and he said to them that they would drink it, and they would drink it to remember his blood that would be shed for them that night and shed for us to seal the new covenant that was being made between God and us because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And he says, drink this and remember me. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity that'd be drawn close to you. I pray that even just what we're doing right now would be the juice inside of us, the sustenance that would strengthen us in the weeks and months ahead. We would know that you're with us, that your love is for us, that you want to continually pour yourself into us, You've planted Holy Spirit inside of us. Make us more and more aware of your spirit and how you want to lead us and guide us. And I just want to give an invitation right now for anyone who's never said yes to Jesus that you might do that right now. You would pray, Jesus, I want to receive you. I want to receive your mercy and your grace. I want to receive the benefits of what you made available on the cross when you died for me. I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me and make me clean and make me whole. And Father, for all of us, I know what I've talked about in two weeks and just two 30-minute messages. It's just like the tip of the iceberg. But I trust you, Holy Spirit, again, that you will work this out in our hearts. Just as Paul calls us to work out our salvation, that I believe you would be working out in each one of us. What does it mean to live in the cycle of grace? Help us not just to hear a message and then walk away, but if I'm going to be in this input side, the work that might be required is setting aside time so that I can open myself up to the means of grace. It's there. I might need to open myself up. And then, God, as we open ourselves up, I pray that you're you're transforming power would make us glow, I'll just say that, glow for Jesus, and that we'd become a billboard for you, God, and that you would guide us in the pathway of how we can be productive for you in your kingdom, especially as we come back and talk about next week about the responsibility of grace. We thank you for being here. We just, I pray for everyone who has Uh, needs that they brought in today, that they would find opportunity to get prayer while they're here today. We just thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.